If you're um, a guest or visitor, a big hello to you. I'm James, I'm part of the team here at St. Thomas's, and I work with the university students, which means from here on in, I get to put my feet up for the summer and just relax because they've like, that's not true. They've largely head home, although Lee's my boss, so uh, maybe I should have, but I'm now on the record saying that a little bit. Um, but if, if you're new to this church, a huge welcome to you. Um, I, God has brought you here for a reason today, and it might just be to hear this message or to be encouraged by the worship to be, pre- um, to be prayed for, um, but we're just so glad you're here, and um, it's great to look out on a church. There's lots of stripes in the church today, which is, I don't know, did you all text each other before coming or something and coordinate? You all look very lovely and very summery, I must say. Here at St. Thomas's, we're about um, following Jesus, loving Newcastle, and building community. Um, that's our vision. That's where we've, we, we sense God is, is leading us. Um, it has been so good to us so far, and the best is yet to come. Um, so it's so good to have you here with us. Today, we're looking at Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. I'm going to go straight into the Bible um, now. So if you do want to draw that up in front of you, however you do, if you've got a Bible with you or on your phone, but I will read it out so we can follow along. It is fantastic. So Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Against us, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? The love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Often when we read the Bible together, we say thanks be to God um, after we say this is the word of the Lord. So would you join me in doing that? This is the word of the Lord, and our response is, thanks be to God. Now, today is June 26th, as I know you will know, which is, I think, is a turning point in the year, certainly in the life of our church. It is less than six months until Christmas. Isn't that fantastic? 
We're on the precipice. The countdown has officially begun. It's beginning to look a lot like you're already there you go. It's happening. We have transitioned from, it's now getting closer, minute by minute. And what is the most important thing about Christmas, I hear you say? The presents. Yes, it is indeed, because in giving and receiving presents, we are embodying one of the greatest and the central messages of Christmas, that God, in his grace and in his generosity, gave us his Son, that we might know life and life in all of its fullness. In giving and receiving presents, we embody that beautiful Christian message to one another. And that's what we're going to look, like, look at as we study uh, Romans 8 together today, that we're going to see that God has a promise and a purpose for us in giving us Jesus, this beautiful, unique gift. And this gift is beyond all our expectations and it is given in love. So let's look at God's promise now, and um, I'll try and maybe bring some carols as we go along. So I hope you've got your singing voices with you. Um, we'll see if we've got time for that. I'll keep an eye on the clock. Uh, Romans 8, verses 28. John Stott says this of the Bible in an illustration. If the Bible was a mountain range, the book of Romans is like Mount Everest. And Romans 8, verse 28 is the summit the top of the mountain in which we glimpse God prom God's promises for us as followers of Jesus. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Very familiar words, perhaps, to some of us. If you're of that age or practice where you're in the habit of memorizing Bible verses, which I'd encourage us to do, this is one of the top ones, I guess, that people might have on a mug or on your fridge, or that after a very long day at work that might be very stressful or parenting at home, you sit down with a cup of tea and you go, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For some of us, though, these words might be very new. And you're thinking, well, it's a nice thing to say, but isn't that really just aspirational? All things for good, really? The difficult conversations that I find myself in? That problematic colleague? Not making any references. Um, or maybe like, um, Lee's looking concerned. I think I've made one too many employment jokes already, so um, maybe I should steer clear of that one. Um, no, but, but really all things, perhaps you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, really? All things? Well, let's look at this verse again. And we know, it's not that God is saying like the things that we face are good. Um, like everything will be good that God will give us because that's not actually what these words will say. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him that no matter what we face, the highs and the lows, the things of life, the fastballs that come to us, whatever they may be, whatever you may be facing today, which I might not know about as I look around, whatever it is, God will work in all things for the good of those who love him. That is the promise of God to us, found here in Romans 8, verse 28. Not just here, but all through the Bible. Think of the story of Joseph for a moment with the technicolored dream coat. 
and he had a bit of an ego situation. I'm paraphrasing the story here. And his brothers threw him into a hole in the ground and sold him into slavery. And then through the providential hand of God was raised up to be the prime minister of a nation that in a famine under the dream and the wisdom and the direction of God, they stored up food. And Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So that on this day, many people will be saved, including those brothers. He didn't know what was going on, what God was leading him to throughout his story. But it was true for Joseph. And I'm going to suggest to us today that we forget sometimes, but it is true for us. I certainly forget. But God has a promise to us to work all things for the good of those who love him according to his purposes. And I forget it, but I'm so thankful to God that he, in his grace and his goodness to us, has had it written down through the Apostle Paul in the Bible so that when I forget, I can read my Bible and remember this promise of God to us. And what strikes me about this promise is that often God's purposes, which we see in verse 29 worked out, if you look with me now, it says God has... um, a promise to us to work for good for those that love him according to his purposes. What are his purposes? Well, we get glimpses of that in the next verse, verse 29, that it says that he um, has called people according to his purposes for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's a clue as to God's purposes that in calling us to his son, on receiving this gift of his son, we would become like Christ, conformed to his image, but also many people would come to know Jesus, that there would be many people who come to follow Jesus. So God's purpose is in family planning. When we think of family planning, we think of reducing the size of our family. But in God's economy, with God's promise, according to his purpose, it is about many people becoming brothers and sisters. And I'm struck when I think about God's purposes, how often it comes through weakness and hardship. I was at a wedding yesterday, some dear students in Sheffield where I used to work. And I was remembering about this student I once worked with. He was um, an athlete. I guess that might be a grand, but he really wanted to get into the university football team. I didn't make it. I was really disappointed. But in his creativity, he met some other people who were in a similar boat to him. He he loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. They decided to set up a football team together. And in the end, God brought lots of people to it. They really wanted to use it as a platform to play football well. If they could, beat the university football team that they got rejected from. But also just to share Jesus and share life with a group of lads because they had a common interest together. And God in his goodness grew that team. Not just that, they started a girls team for a season. And what I saw in those young men is just fruit. They shared Jesus with so many people, not just in that football team, but other Christians began to saw the good thing that God was doing in that team. And they were emboldened to share Jesus with their friends in the running club, in the park run or whatever it was. And it was just a good thing that God did out of weakness. We don't always know why a door would close. But God will work for good in the lives of those that love him according to his purposes. And his purposes are that we would become like Christ, conformed into his image, verse 29, and that many people would come to know Jesus. 
Let me just look at verse 29 with us now. Do you have your Bibles open if you've got them in front of you? Look, look with me at these verses. I'm, I'm really not making them up. God's purpose for us is that we would become conformed to the image of his son. God is preoccupied with my holiness. Jesus is described in the Bible as the Holy One, and we are to become like him. So there is a purpose on our lives, not just to be successful or popular or hardworking, although those things are really good to go for in the right spirit. But God's primary purpose for our lives, if you've ever wondered what on earth you're here to do, it is to become like Jesus to conform to the image of his son. And I've come to realize that my problem, maybe I'm just speaking for myself now, allow me just to use this as a a moment of therapy, that my problem is I've come to realize that I just don't know what God's good for me is at times. I often forget what being conformed into the image of his son looks like when I am in the thick of it. I don't know if you can relate to me, but God is in the business of redeeming people from brokenness, from difficulty, and making them whole taking the broken and making them into followers of Jesus, not just Christians, but Christ-like Christians. Do you see signs of God working in your life to make you more like Jesus? In the Anglican Church today, as part of the lecture you read, and it's Galatians 5, and it's a great description of the qualities of Jesus. And we have those things because we are in him. The fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of of Jesus are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As you draw close to Jesus, as you've joined this church family, if you experience the things of God, can you see, do you notice, growing in those things, into holiness, into his image, the fruits of the Spirit? And I'm not always quick to ask, how can this difficult situation make me more like Jesus. You know, this setback or this blocked door that I've experienced, how is God using this to make me more like Jesus that I might grow in patience? This difficult boss, I don't know why I've put so many employment references in today, uh, but that difficult boss, you might say, how, um, sorry Lee, um, but how, how, um, how is God using this to teach me about the way that Jesus has the ability to suffer unjustly? Maybe, I don't know your situations, but I'm, I'm just trying to imagine different things we might be walking through as followers of Jesus here in Newcastle in the 21st century. Under pressure, good for me can be about my plans, my success, and my ease. But then I'm thankful that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, St. Paul wrote down for us in Romans 8, verses 28 to 39, these words that God will work all things for the good of those that love him to transform me into the image of his son according to his purposes. God's aim for me isn't just to be successful or comfortable, but to make me, James Brown, like Jesus. And those two things aren't necessarily the same. So we've looked that we're becoming like Jesus. That's God's purposes for us. But there's a lot about Jesus that is unique. I think you'll agree. How on earth do we attain that bar? I want us to look together now at verse 32. Something that is true of Jesus that just is not true for us. And it is that Jesus is the 
unique gift. The uniqueness of Jesus is that he is given to us. He is not simply born. Given to us in a manger at Christmas, given for us on a cross at Easter, that I might be brought into his glory. There's things about Jesus that just can't be true about me. In the Christian tradition, throughout the ages, for two centuries, Christians have professed faith in Jesus Christ, co-eternal, co-existent with God the Father, one in nature. These are the statements of faith that we've received as followers of Jesus, particularly in our Anglican church. I'm thinking of Article 2 of the Son of Man, Jesus, that he is one with the Father, truly God something that we can never be, but he is also truly man, that we share a nature with us. He's a mediator between God and us because he can relate to us in a way. And Jesus, through his incarnation in the manger at Christmas and his crucifixion, resurrection and ascension that we've just been exploring as a church over these last few weeks as we've looked at the Trinity, at Pentecost, at the Spirit, on Father's Day, at God the Father. And today, we're looking at the person of Jesus and remembering his distinctive uniqueness and the call in which God has to be like him on us. Jesus is this unique gift given to us that we might know the Father. Remember what we studied in the sacrament series together when Brogan started us off looking at Colossians 1, that Jesus is given to us that we might know the Father and his love for us. He is the visible image of the invisible God. If you've ever wanted to know God, maybe God's brought you here and you've never been in a church before. If you want to know God, then look at the person of Jesus. Look at his life. Look at the fruits of his life. And ultimately, look at the cross. Look what he's done for us. Because only because he is truly God and that he is truly man can he truly save us. And so we've got this flow in verses 32 to 34 that Jesus was given to us, not just born, He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And he rose to new life, ascended into heaven, and is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And that word interceding is a technical word. It's very different to Hebrews 7, where it conjures up this image of Jesus praying for us, mindful of you and me. Here it's legal language. It talks about justification. It's like Jesus is in the court, in the heavenly court, petitioning to the Father and says, that person down there, I died for them. And to you, Father God, I appeal for justice. Their debt has been paid. It would be unjust for that son and daughter to have their debts paid twice. So Father God, I appeal to you, show us your justice. Verse 33, who then brings charges against God's chosen? It's not God. We looked at this at Easter and over the the last few weeks, it is not God. But truth be told, when I hear these words, it's not nobody, is it? Sometimes we feel accused. Sometimes we accuse ourselves or feel guilt or shame. Who then condemns, verse 33? Well, my conscious conscience might. For better or for worse, sometimes I have even like a false sense of peace or a wrong sense of guilt. Maybe other people will. Maybe following Jesus has been really costly and you've had some very different conversa- difficult conversations with 
colleagues or students you're studying alongside or even family members, and certainly Satan will, known as the great accuser in the Bible. He certainly has a list of things that I've done wrong, and he regularly reminds me of them. Not just me, perhaps you too. But notice these words in Romans 8. Who then condemns? Not God. Because we have an intercessor in Jesus who is before the Father now saying, the guilt of that son and daughter is been paid for. I did it on the cross. And Father God says, case closed. If God is for us, verse 31, who can be against us? And have confidence in this. There will never be a retrial over you. It's not like, I don't know, suits or something like this where they're constantly in and out of the court of law and everything is recorded on paper and nothing is forgotten. You think, gosh, my life is in a file somewhere in heaven and one day God just might decide to reopen it. That can never happen because what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross has been done for, paid for, and that is the end of it. Notice also in these verses in Romans 8, in verse 29 and 30, you've got that flow of very technical words and we're not going to study them in great detail now. But like the stained glass windows, we haven't really got any here in St. Hilda's, but if you imagine, for example, Lee's outfit, we could dissect it in terms of his fashion choices on the choice of colour and the tropical pattern of t-shirts. But rather than dissecting the individual detail of these words in Romans 8, let's just step back and appreciate the entirety of the flow, the picture, the great outfit choice that Lee has wore. Now the colours complement one another. Look at these words in Romans 8. Let's not go into the minutiae of detail, but just appreciate what God has done for us in Jesus. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Notice with me that flow. And notice that it's in the past tense. Paul is so confident that when God has chosen us, that when God has called us to Jesus Christ, nothing can shake that we are in him. So confident of such that he writes this in the past tense. It's this triumphant expectation that when God has got his hands on you, when you know his love, nothing can separate you from it. There will never be a retrial God has forgiven you. And when I forget, I must remember to read Romans 8, that God has made a promise and God has a purpose. I'm going to finish with, um, I'm not going to use this illustration. I'm just conscious of time. I'm going to finish with what I think is the most important thing. And I'm going to jump to um, Jesus is given in love. So look with me at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger or sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice that past tense again. When we're in the thick of it, when we're under pressure as followers of Jesus, it's not just an emotional feeling we need to know of God. We need something tangible. We need to know we're loved. We need to see something that is measurable, that is steadfast, that is undeniably true, such as the cross in the ground. A historical fact that we can explore and look at ourselves. I need to know it when I'm under pressure because my emotions can change with the weather, but the cross still stands 
It is true. All of this means that when God made us, when he chose us, he chose us with the cross in mind. Was the giving of Jesus for you and I when the father gave us his son, was it reckless? No. Was it some kind of cosmic child abuse as people have written? Absolutely not. It was love. Before we were made, before we were in our mother's womb, he knew us. Romans 8 says he foreknew us, and then he chose us, and then he predestined us, and he justified us, and he glorified us before we were even made. You know, when I became a Christian, I thought, gosh, I'm going um, to make this choice, and it all depends on me. And what I've come to know as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus is that God has been faithful to me long before I chose him. He was choosing me. Long story short, in my life, I, I'm exploring at the moment becoming a priest, a vicar in the Church of England, and I've had to pull together a lot of my paperwork, and part of which was finding my baptism certificate from when I was two months old. Um, I don't know my biological dad, but I was baptized in the Catholic Church. And I guess the motives behind it at the time were sort of, for all the best intentions, none of my family followed Jesus. It was just, it's just the thing you do. We've got this baby out of wedlock. Let's baptize him, celebrate the thing that we've done. I think it was more for the party than for anything. But the promises made on my behalf at two months old, I think God was working through them. I can see clearly now just moments through my life where God has been faithful, calling me to him. I thought at 17, when I decided to be a Christian, it was about me choosing Jesus. But I read Romans 8 and I'm reminded, before I was even made, God was choosing me and he knew the baggage that I would come with and he chose me and he chose to have me anyway because he wanted me. It is love. We are wanted, not needed. Remember, as we explored the Trinity together, the Father loves the Son who loves the Spirit, who loves the Father, who loves the Spirit. And there is this perfect relationship in Father, Son and Spirit who love one another perfectly. They didn't need us, but we've been made because we're wanted. We're, we're made because they wanted us. We're made because of love. And this experiential, life-changing love marked in the ground by the cross is the core message of the Christian faith. And it is that truth that frees us up to love one another. It's that truth that allows us to face difficulties going, God, make me into the image of your son. Do you know, I can love you as the church family and you can love me because we're trying to become like Jesus. We're trying to relate to one another in a way where we don't demand of one another, but we just want to be with one another, to love one another, to call out the best in one another and cheer each other on, following in the pattern and the way and the life of Jesus Christ. So it's true. If we really have received Jesus, We've received everything, even in the face of suffering, especially in the face of suffering, especially when we're confronted with our weakness or difficulty. God can work all things for good for those that love him in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Could I invite the band up, please? And um, would you stand with me? Uh, I realize that 
when it comes to Romans 8, it can be really encouraging and fluffing, but I don't know how those words have landed today because we've all come with a unique story. But my prayer for all of us is we begin to work again, like yeast into dough, this truth of Romans 8 into our story, that it will become so true about who we are and we become so confident in it that we can face anything, knowing that height or depth will never, ever separate us from God's love. So how have these words landed today? Are they an encouragement? Are they a rebuke? Are they a challenge? Let's just take a moment of quiet before God and just acknowledge the very thing that the Spirit of God is doing with us as we've heard the Word of God preached today. And then I'll pray for us all and we'll worship God together. I'm so sorry I didn't get to use the mister as an illustration, but that'll just have to be another part of a talk for another time. God, we trust that in your wisdom, in your goodness, the things that we've heard today, there might be something in it for us. Give us eyes that are open, ears that are open, hearts that are open to receive the good thing that you might have us for us this morning help us to be people who are committed to the truth who sit under the authority of the word of God not swayed by the circumstances of our day or the emotions that we might hold helpful as they are help us to remember this promise in Romans 8 work it into us Lord we pray that you love us and you will work all things for the good of those that love you according to your purposes. Painful or easy, Lord, use all things to make us like your son, Jesus. Help us to follow Jesus, build community and love Newcastle in the way in which you have loved us. Not demanding of a city, but giving of ourselves sacrificially that many brothers and sisters would come to know Christ that they too might know that they are called, that they are chosen, that they are justified, that they will be glorified. And Lord, when we doubt, 
would we remember Romans 8, a truth written down for us, for the encouragement of the church, for the encouragement of me. Spirit of God, continue to apply these truths to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.